Good morning, everyone say seven. Great, we're on the seventh commandment this morning. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Pierre, and I've got the privilege of sharing the word with you this morning. I'm excited about this one. The seventh commandment, probably one of the ones that we don't always like to talk about um, because it might be a little uncomfortable, especially talking in church about things uh, that we don't think the church should be talking about. But I'm excited to share with you the word of God this morning on the seventh commandment. And we'll get into that. Um, I'm excited to open your hearts and be ready. I decided this morning to, to title my message, A Higher Standard. And the seventh commandment, which we'll read in a minute, speaks about the act of marriage. And when I say a higher standard, I wanted to show you guys a little introduction uh, image to show you what the world is doing with marriage today. Is If this is the picture and and, and the color that God wants to give this thing about thing called marriage today, the world is just keeping on diluting it and making it less impactful and lighter and lighter until it becomes totally undiluted and ineffective. And if I had enough water to pour it out, I'll keep pouring until it wastes on the floor, but I don't want Marcel and the guys to have to clean it up afterwards. But we, as Christians, need to move away from what the world thinks about stuff and says about stuff. And we need to present the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ in an undiluted manner. And this morning I realized, even in my preparation, is what, what I want to share on and I need to share on this morning is a fight for marriage. When the world today, the, the image changes and I'm simply going to do a simple thing and my wife laughs at my illustrations, but all I'm going to do is pour the word of God back into what marriage is about so that we as a church know this is what it should look like. It's strong, it's clear, and we know this is marriage. So that it doesn't matter how much and how hard the world tries to dilute this image, there's a higher standard, and it is possible with the grace of God to actually achieve it and live according to that standard. So I'm just going to take the dodgy blue water out of my, my way to make sure it doesn't fall on my computer. But this message this morning isn't really about managing your sin, but it's about celebrating the beautiful gift of marriage. It's not about saying no to this, it's about saying yes to that. And that's been the heart of this entire series. It's not saying God is coming with a bunch of rules and saying you should not X, Y, and Z. Instead, we're saying God is saying, you know what, I've got this amazing path carved out for you. If you would just follow, you will have incredible life. He started the Ten Commandments by saying, I am your God and you are my people. I deeply love you. I adore you. So here are some things that I want to teach you that if you do this and obey this, you will have an incredible life in me. So this morning we are going to discover again the biblical truth about what marriage is designed to be. And where the world keeps raising the standard or lowering the standard, we're saying, you know what, we as a church are going to uphold that standard. And yes, sometimes we miss it and we make mistakes. We all do. I've uh, been married to Elena and I for 13 years and there's been multiple mistakes made. But when we go back to the word of God and say, God, you know what? We can't actually do this without you. And we understand there's a standard that you have for us. Help us to live according to that. He comes with his grace and with his love and his mercy and he helps us reach it. So everyone says a higher standard. Let's read together, together the seventh commandment, Exodus 20 verse 14. Very simple. You shall not commit adultery. A big word, a taboo word to the world, uh, a taboo world, word to the world of movies. If there wasn't that theme, a lot of movies would have to be not ever been made. A lot of series wouldn't exist and the money-making world would just fall down because we can't make movies about this thing anymore. Boy meets girl, they fall in love, and then the love story starts, and then a couple of months later, or years later, boy meets another girl, and then girl, wasn't, girl one isn't that great anymore, so let's just shoo her out of the way, because the world standard is so vastly different than what God has for us. So what I want to do is I want to pray together before we look at the Word of God, and my prayer is simple this morning, that He would speak, and that His Word would stand strong. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that you've given us life and abundantly. Lord, thank you that you have, in fact, where the world thinks you, you're spoiling our fun, Lord. It's not that. You are protecting us. You are providing for us. You are taking care of us. 
and he's saying, my children, do not harm yourselves by doing stupid things. So I pray this morning, Lord, that we will respond in faith to your word. And Holy Spirit, that you will speak to each one of us according to your word. I pray, Lord, that as we discuss this, this topic and talk about the beautiful thing called marriage, Lord, that there will be celebration rising in our hearts, Lord. And I also pray this morning for those of us who have an area of brokenness when it comes to relationships. Lord, thank you that you are the restorer, Lord, and who brings back much more than what the enemy could ever steal from us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to say this in my preparation and praying for this morning. I realize that for some of you, this is a hurtful topic. Some of you might be in a place in your life where things has, hap- has happened and decisions was made and you don't stand in a position of complete victory yet. But I want to say this this morning is that because of the cross, we can have complete victory. That because of what Jesus has done, if you allow the Spirit of God and the grace and mercy of Christ to cover you this morning, there's hope and restoration for you. Talking about higher standards, the idea of the law, and we read it in the Bible, is that Jesus came to take the law away, and now there's just grace, and law doesn't exist. But in actual fact, when we read Matthew 5, Jesus said, no, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to uphold it. And when he speaks about the Ten Commandments, he actually gives it a higher standard than the original. And we see it more so than in any of the others in the Seventh Commandment, where Jesus says this about adultery, and you can follow it on the screen. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That is shocking. So it's, not, it's far away now just from the act of saying, goodbye wife, I find something better. It's saying that in your walk, that we can have adulterous ways in our hearts if we don't live according to the standard that Jesus has set. And then I realized, you know what? In actual fact, and I include myself in this, all of us stand guilty. There's been moments in our lives where we had let the temptation of the world and our own flesh take precedent and we've looked at things and we thought things that was not with a good intent and with a pure intent. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do with this topic. He wants to tell you that you are alone in that world. That no one would understand if you had to come forward and say, I need help, I am broken. But in actual fact, looking at the standard that Jesus has set, I realize, you know, we are all human and we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. But this morning is a celebration that because of the cross, there's a standard that we could attain and aim for and reach. And the only thing we need to do today in our hearts is bring into light where we are on this journey So the seventh commandment is about God's heart for marriage. It is not as much about don't, don't, don't. It's saying yes to the idea of marriage. A grand idea which the world has watered down, but we as the church has a responsibility to keep that in high esteem in our society. Marriage is the foundation of a family. Families are the foundations of society. And we as the church have to make sure that we keep this concept in high esteem and understand God's heart for it. The commandment deal with our hearts at the core. It's questioning me and saying, Pierre, how do you carry yourself and how do you think and how, how do you act and what are the things that you talk about and what are the things that your eyes look at? Make sure that these are aligned to me. The world standard is simply this. The world looks for compatibility and satisfaction. The media promotes attraction, but God's design for marriage is a covenant of honor and exclusivity. It's amazing. The world just say, you know what? As long as you're compatible, try all the options and find a compatibility option. And you know what? It's just, it's just for what's in it for you. Make your list and make sure that your list is ticked off because if your list is ticked off, you will be satisfied and happy for the rest of your life. So what's in it for you? Find what will work for you and what's great for you and apply that and get that and you will have happiness. The media says it needs to look like this. 
The movie says it needs to look like this. The song says it needs to look like this. And we are all exposed to it the whole time. And my question to myself this week was, how often do I expose myself to the word of God with regards to marriage? Because the messages on the speakers in my car, when I do listen to KFM or 5FM on a day, or when I do go to the movies, is just so different from the word of God. And when I study his word, I see two things. It's honorable. It is honorable. It is a beautiful image. The thing of marriage. And secondly, it's exclusive. It's between husband and wife. And husband and wife alone. Therefore, we need to challenge ourselves this morning and how we look at this thing called marriage. The great thing about marriage is that following our relationship with God, marriage is the most valued relationship one can enjoy on earth. And I'm not saying it's easy. As I said earlier this morning, there's a war against marriages in the world today. Even just preparing and even just standing here and speaking God's truth, there's a war against it. But it's worth fighting for. Because what you get out of a marriage 30 years, 40 years in is much more honorable and beautiful than anything else. And, and the, the, the fruit and the experience and the joy of having lasted so long is what the world needs today. It's what our children need. It's what the next generation need. Is moms and dads who say that against all odds, we will fight for this thing and we're going to try with God to make it happen. And we're going to be together, and we're going to stay together, and we're going to fight this war, and we're going to be victorious, because the Word of God said that the battle is not ours, it's the Lord's, but the victory belongs to us. And so the same for marriage, because God knows, apart from our relationship with Him, the greatest relationship we can have on earth is between a husband and wife in a marriage relationship. It is the hardest relationship. Um, if you had to turn to your wife or your husband for a minute and look them in the eye, I remember, and I'm going to share this story. I've shared it before. And uh, I, my wife asked me to not use examples, but I'm going to use this one. We did the marriage course, <laughs> and she also told me to not talk about my wife. So Helena asked me to, to not use examples, but we did the marriage course, which, which Pete and Katie lead so amazingly years back when we just joined this family. And we were sitting there, and it's that moment in that we need to talk with one another about things that the other person has to improve and do better. Um, we had a marriage course moment last night in our home as well. <laughs> and um, this is funny how it works, but I said, okay, ladies first, you go. And she gave a list, and it's like this and that and this and that, and the list keeps going. And I'm just like, man, I always thought, you know what, the day I get married, I will be perfect. Because then I can experience all of life and not feel guilty about anything anymore. And then, and then God said, no, no, no. You know what? Marriage isn't for happiness. It's for holiness. And then he started exposing the things because there's close proximity like there's never been before. Anyway, Helena's list kept going. And, then, and I looked at it and I'm like, yes, I really love my wife so much. And I, I really had to work hard to find something. And, um, and I said... <laughs> I said, you know what? Okay, I'll work on all those things. Let's stop the list. Just... And then I, I said, there's just one thing. It's just one thing, and it's a big thing to me. And she's like, okay, and she says, are you ready for this? And she probably thought that it's going to be something very bad. And I just said, can you please just drive better? Because <laughs> I would go on trips to India, and we would come back with gifts, and I will lavish her with gifts from India, but she gives me a car that's scratched and bumped and I just said that's the only thing I want and I think it was two weeks ago where she parked in our driveway and I couldn't get our car and I said Helena it's still the same thing can you just drive better <laughs> so I'm not standing here with the assumption or saying that you know what this thing isn't hard work it actually is but God esteems the sacred union of marriage so high that he uses it as an analogy of the relationship between Christ and his church. He's saying, my standard for this is so high, I'm actually going to use this to compare it to the way Christ and the church looks. So if you've got your Bibles, I quickly want to read that scripture to us out of Ephesians 5. And it's verses 22 to 33. 
Listen to what God says here. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Hasn't the world come and just watered that down? And I'm not saying that there's a lesser part, there's a two part in any marriage, husband and wife, but there's different roles. And we need to understand our roles and clarify our roles so that we can live according to God's standard. Husbands, speaking to us, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. How did Christ give himself up to the church? Christ gave himself up to the church by laying down his life and dying even before the church could say we're sorry. And how often do we husbands don't want to lay down our lives for our wives because I'm the one that's right? She still has to come and say sorry. If we live according to God's standard, we will say, God, you know what? Even though I might think and feel that my wife is in the wrong here, I will still lay down my life for her. I will open up your word and I will wash her with your word. That's the standard that God sets. He says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. God said, you know what, if I want to explain the church and Christ's love for the church, I'm going to use the example of marriage because I esteem it so high. And then we are reminded in Hebrews 13 verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. Not just those who are married. And that's why uh, this morning my message isn't just to married people. Here's a message for the single people. And we're going to get to more messages for you today. Or the unmarried Let marriage be held in honor among all. In other words, anyone in the faith, keep marriage in high honor. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And it brings me back to the commandment which actually speaks about adultery. And this commandment is further explained in Proverbs 6, verse 32 to 33. It says, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor. And I looked at it last night and I'm like, whoa, that's a lot, Lord. And, and then Jesus, you said, if I just look at a woman lustfully, I've committed adultery. Lord, so dishonor and wounding on myself, is that the effect of the decision I make? And then I'm reminded that that's exactly why God gave us his law. Because he protects us and he wants to love us and say, you know what, if you just walk according to this line, the wounding and the dishonor won't happen to you. And again, I want to say that you might have been in a season in your life where your decisions has caused wounding and dishonoring. And the message and the end result of today's message is exactly that, how Christ has loved the church. Christ has laid down his life for you so that you can come back to a place of restoration. But God is very strong about the concept of adultery. He says it causes hurt within yourself. It brings dishonor upon yourself. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says the act of sexual immorality and adultery is a sin against oneself in one's own body. You are actually hurting yourself if you make a decision for these things. And I ask myself the question, but why? And it's just simply because it's such a physical experience bound with strong emotion and a strong experience that we carry the wounds of brokenness when we've allowed adulterous heart in our own lives. But there is hope. I also want to say this. I do think it's much more than a commandment of adultery. I think it's a commandment of appetite. What are you awakening your appetite for? Are you walking around and making sure that your appetite is hunger and thirst after God because then only you shall be filled? 
That's what the word says. But we hunger and thirst after everything else, and we try and fill the gaps in our lives with other forms of satisfaction, and we develop the wrong appetite. To the singles, I want to say this this morning. Do not awaken the appetite of multiple relationships. It's the easiest trap that single people fall in. It's, I'm going to try X, Y, and Z, and if that doesn't work, I'm going to jump to A, B, and C. And by the end of the day, there's been this multiple experience of relationships that is hard to lay down the day you step into the I do union because you've developed an appetite for multiple relationships. And what I love about this church and the young adults that God is raising up is I see men and women who say, God, we want to do this right. We don't want to go jump, climb in the ditch of trying everything out and then by the end of the day say, okay, let me make my decision. And if you listen to the wisdom of the older generation and if you would allow yourself to, now look at the older generation our church, they would say exactly that. It's remain pure, abstain. We've made mistakes and we know how hard it is to get out of that ditch and get to a place of restoration. So to the singles this morning, listen to what the Bible says. It says, to the daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. It's written in the book of love, Song of Songs, and it says, love is a beautiful thing. Romantic love is incredible, but don't awaken it until it's so desirous. So don't climb into the one ditch and out into the next one. Wait, wait, wait on God. The most beautiful romantic stories in the Bible are of those where God said, I'm going to choose your husband or your wife. And he brings two people together. So don't create an appetite for multiple relationships. To the married people, foster an appetite for your spouse only. And this is hard work, but it's possible. And we're going to get into the practice part of it now is how do we actually do it? But we need to walk and say, God, I want to have an appetite for my spouse alone and only him and only her. I want to be able to quiet all the other voices and all the other things to look at and say, just that, and that is enough. And again, with God, it is possible to do that. Proverbs 5 verse 18 says this, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. And then he goes into a whole lot of bodily, intimate descriptions of how we do that, which I'm not gonna read here this morning for the sake of not having red faces all around the venue. But let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Remember what she was like in her youth and rejoice in that <laughs> to the older generation. Don't try and get another youthful one. Be reminded of that and rejoice in that there was the youthful days because that's the course of life. We all get old and the youth disappears. But if we has, have this heart before God and say, as the scripture continues, let her fruit satisfy you. We can develop an appetite for our sp spouse only. And that is what we as Christians and followers of Jesus ought to do, is to make sure that our appetite is in the right position. Sexual intimacy is first for celebration and procreation, not for satisfaction. The reason God gave us sexual intimacy is for husband and wife to celebrate. And secondly, for husband and wife to procreate so that a new offspring and a new generation can come. Again, the world teaches differently. It's you ought to be satisfied. You deserve better. She's not great. She's going to be better. He doesn't understand my emotional needs. He does. And there's all these fights the whole time. And I do think it is possible to remain on par. I look at the moms and dads in this house who's been married for long. I look at my own parents and I know their own brokenness and how they have to fight but they made the decision, said, God, if there's one thing we will not budge on, it is this concept of marriage. And even though we are so broken, we will fight for it to the end. And today I see them 37 years later, and there's, there's come a rest. There has come a place of just being with one another, enjoying one another like never before, because they've went through their battles. And they understood that it's the celebration of it and not for satisfaction. So here's four things in how we can counter an adulterous heart. Four practical things that I want to share with you and what we can do to honor this commandment and live it in a way that is glorifying to God. 
And all four of them has to do with our bodies. I thought about it, like, let's make it very practical because the act of adultery has got to do with our bodies. I'm going to give us four things we can do with our bodies to make sure that we stay on par. I'm going to start speaking about our hearts. What is in your heart when you think about your husband and your wife? To ask men, what is in your heart when you look at a young woman? Are our hearts in a place where it's healthy and holy and where we offer acceptable worship to God? And to those of us who are married and still to get married, falling in love is the emotion of infatuation, but staying in love is the action of commemoration. So it is an emotive thing. The moment you see him or her and there's all these emotions happening and you fall deeply in love and, and, and it's nothing wrong with it. God made us like that. But then we hear how we say and the world says that I'm not in love anymore. I don't feel what I felt years back. The thing is you aren't going to feel what you felt years back because there's been 10 years or 5 years or 2 years or 30 years of journeying together and familiarity. So there's a higher standard that you have to feel for and fight for now. And that is the standard of commemoration. We're going to remind ourselves of what God has done. We're going to remind ourselves of the promises we made to one another and coming into a covenant before Christ years back. And that's a hard thing. And if we start with our hearts and we pull our hearts straight and we say, God, I still want to celebrate my spouse. I still want to be reminded of the things that he or her has done and why I said yes to him. Help me with my heart. God will come by his spirit and he will rekindle again the infatuation and the emotions that comes with it. And not just myself, but multiple people have a testimony of what God can do in a marriage if you pray that prayer. God, I want to put to action the commemoration of why I said yes to this person at the first place or in the first place. Proverbs 23 verse 8, a well-known scripture says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. If you think negative thoughts about your spouse, you will become negative towards your spouse. If you keep thinking, I wish he would just do that, or I wish he would listen better, or I wish this and that, that's what's going to become in your actions. Or I wish that she would dress differently, or that she would be more fun, then you're going to start acting towards your spouse in a negative manner. That's what the word says. As you think in your heart, so you will be. So let's make our hearts a place where we foster a love for our spouse and keep it intact so that when the world and the enemy comes and parade the other options, we could say, my heart is strong as a lion and I'm gonna remain in this place because I love this man or woman so much that nothing else matters and nothing is more worth fighting for than this relationship. So we counter an adulterous heart with our own heart first. The second thing that we do is with our thoughts. This is the secret, secret space that no one else knows about except for God. The Bible says that he knows our thoughts. He knows our sitting down, our, our sleeping, what we think, what we, we meditate on, what our thoughts are. And it's between you and God. It's your thought life. And we just heard that as a man thinks in his heart, so he becomes. So the second part is we need to work on this and how we think about marriage, how we think about the opposite sex in the attractions that we might feel on a Friday night when we're at a braai and that person is there and there's a little bit of a pulling and a tugging. What do we do with our thoughts? The Bible says it clearly in Romans 12 verse 2, well-known scripture, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. The world is shouting, give over, give in. It's natural. Just let it run. We say, no, 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 no. There's a standard and an approved will of God that I need to live according to, and I'm gonna take my thoughts captive and bring it under the obedience of Jesus Christ and renew the way I think about this thing called marriage and attraction. Philippians says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So when you think about your spouse, think about the true things, the honorable things, the pure things, the lovely things, the excellent things, the commendable attributes 
that he or she has. Make that the focus and the things that you dwell on, not the other options out there or the things that you think your spouse needs to improve on. And here's how celebration works. The moment it's like with a child, the moment we celebrate Alika in what she's doing right, she wants to do more right. But the fallen human nature just wants to point at what's being done wrong and then it turns into this, this battle of trying to make the right or the wrong right. And it's the same again here. If we focus on our spouse and what they do great and the honorable things and the excellent things and the recommended things and we celebrate that, more of that will come. That's the way that God works and he's put us together. So our thoughts, our hearts, our thoughts and then thirdly, our eyes. This is a difficult one, especially for us men, but I also want to debunk the thought that it's only men who battle with their eyes when it comes to this topic. Sadly, it's been put on us men that we are the, the priors and the one walking around looking for a, a, a damsel in distress. But this morning, there might be some of us who aren't men, the women, who needs to hear this. So the address this morning is to both men and women. Let's not fall in the trap of a half-truth to think that we are above that. It's a silly thing that I remember hearing when I was growing up. My uncle, so I was by Afrikaans, and I'll say it in Afrikaans because then the people will relate to it, and then I'll translate it in English. But I always say, you can't be menu cake, so long as you don't Who's heard that before? Okay, I see. So you're allowed to look, look at the menu, don't touch. And that's so wrong. So it's saying, enjoy the fruit. Look at it. Smell it. Bring it around. Let the plate with food come around and look at it and smell it and infuriate yourself with emotion for it, but just don't touch it. And therefore, it's so important to work with our eyes and knowing that what we look at is important. Because if you keep looking, I promise you the day will come that you're going to touch. Because you've awakened an appetite for something that you shouldn't have awakened an appetite for. And, and this whole concept debunks Christ's words. And this is the follow-up of what he said in Matthew 5 about looking at a woman lustfully and saying you've committed adultery in your heart. He continues by saying this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. That is strong words from Jesus. Perhaps a modern day version should be reading like this. If your iPhone causes you to sin, shut it down and throw it away. For it is better to have a Nokia 3310 <laughs> than to have your whole body perish in hell one day. We can satisfy the lust of our eyes with three clicks on our phone. Yet, we just let the, the world dilute it more and pour more water in it. And I, 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 I shrug when I, when I see what is available on Instagram and how our teenagers have access to things that when I was a teenager, I really had to go through a whole lot of loops and hide things under the mattress. <laughs> Where two or three clicks. So we've got a responsibility as parents. We've got a responsibility to make sure our children's eyes are protected. And you've got to take responsibility for your own eyes. So rather get a Nokia 3310 than an iPhone, if that is what's needed. Because the word is strong, it says, it's better to walk around with one eye than let the eye that's dark trip you up into falling into adultery. Because then there's an eternal hurt and there's an eternal separation from the Father if you don't come back to Him. I love Job's personal conviction on this. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. I've made a covenant, a strong word. I've made a decision and so strongly that I call it a covenant that I would have eyes for my wife only, that I would not let my eyes linger and my thoughts linger and my heart move away, but have eyes for her alone. Maybe that's what some of us need to say this morning. Lord God, I need to get back to the place where I say I want to make a covenant with my eyes. I want to flip this around for a minute and I want to do this with grace and I want to ask the ladies in the room to just hang on with a minute or two before I get uh, people getting up and walking out. 
But 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 says this, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. And I'm the last one to give fashion advice because I don't have a lot of that. If it wasn't for Helena, my wife, then uh, I would have dressed terribly. But there's some truth in here in that ladies in the Christian faith has a responsibility. And I know that the debates, that it's not my job to make sure that the guy doesn't stumble. But surely there needs to be a sensitivity to sin and what causes people to stumble in the Christian world, isn't that? The Bible does say don't do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. So we as women, we as women, the woman, <laughs> it's very difficult to talk on the, him and her and this and that, <laughs> needs to embrace this because I love how practical the word is. And Paul isn't saying don't adorn yourself. He's not saying look terrible and don't dress up and look pretty. He's just saying, when you adorn yourself, do it in a way that is respectable. So do dress up and look great and look beautiful, but do it in a way that is respectable. So modesty is not anti-fashion. And that's what the world says. Being modest is anti-fashion. Well, I don't know. Sometimes the fashion changes and then people wear all these long, heavy, hot things in, uh, in summer because it's the fashion But Paul isn't saying don't look nice and don't dress up. He's just saying when you do it, be respectable so that the eyes of those around you don't have to fight so hard to look the other way. And to us men, let's make a covenant with our eyes. And the fourth thing, our heart, our thoughts, our eyes, and then our actions, what we actually do with our bodies. I want to ask you a few questions. How do we act around others that there might be a sliver of attraction to? Do we try and sit so close that there's a, a quick brush of shoulders or move the chairs and the tables around that we can sit closer to that individual? Do our actions show that we are fighting for something worth fighting for, this idea of honorable marriage? How do we act when we are with the opposite sex and there's a sense of attraction? How do we act and will we be like Joseph who she came to him daily and offered himself to him daily? Not just a little, (laughs) you're cute, come with me. She said, Joseph, take me now. And he said, I don't, I'm not going to do this. And he started running. How are our actions towards the opposite sex? Or do we just let it slide a little bit? Do we just speak about women in a way that is a little bit derogatory? Do us women fantasize about that great guy that we've met? Even though we're married, like, yes, I saw this guy and he's strong and he leads his family so well and he's just amazing. And we start the comparison thing, which just brings more trouble and more hurt. So our actions need to be weighed when we talk about this thing. It says in Mark 14, verse 38, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. Not just pray. Don't just quote the Father's prayer and say, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. You have a responsibility to be watchful. The original word, Greek word, is be awake and vigilant. In other words, in your actions, be strong and sure about what it is that God has called you to in your actions. Be watchful and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The thing about temptation, I always tell this, to the guys that I, I walk a road with, is the mountain of temptation is only two minutes high. Okay, that doesn't make sense, Pierre. I know, I am Afrikaans, but this actually makes sense when I explain it. What it says is, if you find yourself in a moment where there's extreme temptation and you could cross that line, just remove yourself from it and two minutes later you would have overcome. It's a very simple thing to do. It's a very simple uh, uh, rule or, or precedent to put into your life to say, you know what, temptation is going to come. We all know that. But if I can remove myself for only two minutes, I've overcome that mountain. And it's worked every single time. It's worked in my own life because I'm not above 
I'm still human and temptation does come. But if I can remove myself or I can throw my iPhone as far as I possibly can and remove myself away from that for only two minutes and I cry out to God and I say, God, please, I don't want to let, well, let my actions trip me up. You will overcome that mountain. It isn't so hard to overcome because Christ has promised us, promised us that he will not let temptation come to us that is too strong for us to withstand. So will we resolve as a church to fight for it with our actions? Or will we just get a little bit blasé and dilute it with the things of this world? I'm going to ask the worship team to join me on stage. And I want to conclude with a few final thoughts. I've said much about stirring an appetite for what is right. I've said much about aligning our actions and our eyes and our thoughts and our hearts to be that of honor and obedience to the word of God. But I want to stop for a moment and speak about you and your own heart. The area of sexuality in most of us, let me rephrase that, the area of sexuality in all of us will be challenged. And the enemy is going to try his utter best to disrupt it and break it down. That's the reality. Because he knows if he can mess this up, he can mess us up really hard. So all of us have had a place and a time and a moment in our lives where we either chose for something that was good or something that was bad. But the message and the ultimate message and the underlying message of this morning is that Christ has laid down his life for you so that you could be restored. And I don't know your story. Maybe no one knows your story. But Jesus Christ does. Maybe it's extremely private between you and him. But because of the cross, we can be restored. Marriages that's going through difficulty, if you put Christ in the center again, it can be restored. It is possible. If you've made multiple terrible mistakes, I've seen restoration of people that were so broken in this area where God has restored them, given them a spouse, given them a family. And you know what the enemy is going to come and do? He's going to say, you aren't worthy of that. You'll never deserve a family like that. You'll never deserve children like that because you've done all these terrible things. That is a lie of the enemy. And this morning Christ is saying to each one of you, there is something beautiful I have in store for you. All I'm asking is that you surrender to my restoration. I love the example of Hosea. The book of Hosea speaks about this guy that God said, you go and find yourself an adulterous wife. It uses the word a whore, someone who just, it's, it's, it's filthy, it's terrible. And you marry her. And then the story unfolds about this guy marrying this woman and how she kept running to other men and God says, bring her back. Take her back. Love her again. But it's only until we understand that what God wanted to do through this book is explain to us how our relationship with him is. That we choose to run after other things, but time and time again, he will take us back. There's always a second chance with the cross. There's a third chance, there's a fourth chance, there's a fifth chance. Until it ends, there's always another chance at the cross. And the example of Isaiah is exactly that. Where God says, I don't, I don't mind the brokenness that you have. I want to replace brokenness with restoration. Listen to, to God's words to the nation of Israel in the book of Isaiah. He says, but then I will win her back once again. God says to you this morning, I will win you back once again. I will lead you into the desert and speak tenderly to you there. My words to you are tender, compassionate. And when the day, day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. So instead of just doing what I'm saying and there's a master-slave relationship, you're going to call me a husband. I love you so much and I want you to come into a relationship where the, the, the image of husband and wife comes into play, not just a God and us people and we need to listen. And then he continues saying this, 
I will remove all weapons of war from your land and swords and bows so that you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And you will finally know me as the Lord. In that day I will answer, says the Lord. I will say, now you are my people. And you will reply, you are our God. The very start of the commandments. I'm your God. And you are my people. Turns around in this image where he says, and now then I will say again that I'm your God. And you will say, well, you are my people. And you will say, you are our God. So that's what God wants to do for you. You might feel, Lord, I'm not worthy. I've messed it up. Your spouse might sit next to you and the seat is hot and it's burning and it's uncomfortable. Nothing is uncomfortable for Christ. He can step into any situation and he can come with these waves of restoration and lavish you with love and peace and a rekindling of a fire and a greater understanding of this amazing image called marriage. Let's close our eyes. Lord, our prayer is simple this morning that where the world has come and diluted, where our own actions and thoughts have taken away from this strong idea, this honorable idea of marriage, Lord, that you will come this morning and just strengthen us again. Lord, I pray for every heart that's feeling broken in this moment. That Holy Spirit, you will now minister in a way that only you can. If you're feeling that brokenness, if you're saying, Lord, this is me, just open your heart for the work of the Spirit. Just say, God, here I am. Maybe you're sitting next to your spouse and for the first time in a long time, you need to grab their hands and say, I'm sorry, I want to try again. Let's cry out to God. Maybe you're single and you've made terrible mistakes. Just where you are, just say, God, here I am. I want to believe your promises that speaks about restoration. I want to believe, Lord, that you have something in store for me that's far greater than I can imagine. I want to stop listening to the lies of the enemy. take a moment while the music plays softly just respond to God where you are at Lord, thank you for your grace and that there's always another chance at the foot of the cross. Thank you that it doesn't matter how many times we turn our backs on the life you have for us, Lord, we can always return and you will forgive us once again and cleanse us. Lord, I pray this morning that we will be a people that esteem you above everything else that we don't have to go around the same circle every time and time again. That we truly get to a place where we are so full of you and so satisfied with who you are that we can remain there. Lord, I pray your healing on every brokenness here this morning. I pray, Lord, that today will be the start of a journey for people to restoration. I pray, Lord, for family members and leaders and community members to come into the lives of those who are so broken this morning that they can't do it by themselves.
Lord, that you will send people on their road, their road to help them to a place of restoration. I want to invite you, if you are really in a dark place and you really need a touch of God, that you take the boldness to put up your hand and speak to someone about it. That's why we've got life groups and life group leaders is to help people through difficult situations. That's why we've got the church and us as a house to say, you know what, come here with your brokenness and let's help you get aligned to God's love again. Maybe you're really in a desperate place. Maybe it's sending an email to the church office and just saying, we need help. When you walk through those doors this morning, the decision is ours again. It's what Kareem said this morning. We've got one or two options. And what you've got one or two options is to let this moment go by and to let life happen or to say today, I draw a line and no more. And I step into the fullness of what God has for me in my relationships here on earth and my relationship with him. Lord, I don't know how to end this morning, but you're the one who completes the work that you started. We can sit and bask here for another three, four hours. I can preach for another 10, but that's not the goal. The goal is to say, God, we surrender to you and your design for our lives. And your word has promised that the good work you started in us, you will complete. So that's my prayer. And I speak it over us as a house that the good work you started in each life here, Lord, you will complete. Lord, and we respond with surrender. If you want to surrender to God this morning, just put up your hands with me and say, God, I surrender to your design. I surrender to your plans. And I want you to complete the work you started in me. thank you for that in Jesus name Amen we've got tea and coffee in the foyer I do want to say that there will be leaders up front if you need to speak to someone this morning pray with someone have the boldness to step out and come and say please pray with me and uh, let's be people of action enjoy the tea and coffee if you guys can help us pack the chairs six high move it into the corridor and then we'll see you next week have a good week